When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You're listening to episode 203 of TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I am joined, as always, by the great Dan Feinberg, the Hollywood Reporter's chief TV critic. How's it going, chief? Apparently, it, it might be snowing this weekend in Los Angeles, Leslie, so so make sure that you've got your your beanies and other various things and perhaps your shovel ready. Oh, I'm ready. I, I got my Dodger beanie in full gear. I'm ready to go. It hailed in Burbank this morning. It was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. It got below 40 last night uh, in L.A. proper, which is damn chilly. And of course, some of our listeners are probably in places in the Midwest and East Coast where they're bracing for two feet of snow this weekend. And for that, we sincerely apologize. We we do not mean to. <laughs> we do not mean to make it sound as if we are in any way facing weather-based adversity, only that people are being really strange about the weather in L.A. this week. Yeah. But in other news, I called it last week and I'm and I meant it. This is our supersized mailbag episode and we're going to try and do this a little bit more frequently. We're going to put out a call for questions and hopefully do a larger mailbag segment at least once a month if we can. And you know, Dan put out the call for tweets. Y'all delivered. So we've got a lot of good stuff coming up in this episode. As always, you can email us at your questions at TV's top five at THR.com. That's TV's top five, the numeral five at THR.com. Keep them coming, y'all. Yes, but before we get into that, we're going to lead off as we usually do with the week's top headlines. Number one. Up first. CBS has renewed nine series for next season. That includes NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, CSI Vegas, and various unscripted programs, including The Amazing Race and Survivor, plus the various news magazines. Remaining on the bubble as we head towards the spring, and one of these days, Leslie will be ready to do a big old pilot season update, but that assumes pilot season is really still a thing. Uh, mm, but Kind of. Kind of. But on the bubble, we have such luminaries as Blue Bloods, SWAT, and East New York, which I'm told is a new TV show. And of course, True Lies has not yet premiered, so thus, its future is nebulous. In other renewal news, Netflix has handed out an early season four pickup to Outer Banks. Those sources say this was part of a two-season pickup that came after its sophomore run. Dan, I just started binging this one, and it's really, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of addicted already. No comment. Season three premieres <laughs> this week. Elsewhere at Netflix, the streamer is teaming up with the NFL for a quarterback documentary series following Pat Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and assuming he's still a quarterback, Marcus Mariota. Yeah, this one's interesting, Dan, that, it, that they chose to put this on Netflix and not on a streamer like Amazon that already has the NFL or even on the NFL streaming platforms. So... Maybe this is an, an effort to see if they can get a Breaking Bad Halo effect, sample the NFL on Netflix, and then, you know, go watch go watch the games on another platform, see if we can get, get some more viewers. Well, Netflix has been fairly aggressively pushing into the sports documentary space recently. And so this definitely would feel like it would fit with all of the various shows that they have from the uh, F1 documentary series gang and i believe a new season of that one premieres this weekend but we had the the golf version 
that premiered last week, the tennis version that premiered last month. They've been doing a lot more sports documentaries like the Bill Russell documentary. I, you know, I, I feel as if Netflix is letting us know that they want sports to be more and more a part of their brand. The question will then be, what does that actually mean as a functional piece of the brand? Yeah. Where's the baseball content, Netflix? Come on. In other news, we've got more programming shuffling going on at Paramount Global. This time, the Waco follow-up series, The Aftermath, will air not on Paramount+, Plus, but on Showtime, which kind of makes sense because, well, Showtime just rescued, uh, what was that show? The jo George and Tammy, which was originally supposed to be on Spectrum Originals, but then Spectrum decided to not make originals anymore. And the window on Paramount Plus was instead moved to Showtime, and Michael Shannon starred in that. Michael Shannon stars in the Waco follow-up, which, in case you didn't remember, that aired in, what, 2018 on Paramount Network. So I vaguely yeah. remember that that existed. Duck, duck, goose. Over at HBO Max, the streamer has handed out a series order for Welcome to Dairy, a prequel series to Stephen King's It movies, and they've canceled the former Comedy Central series Southside after three seasons. Definitely people seem sad about the latter. I am kind of scratching my head about the former. Uh, Welcome to Dairy is not a very good title for a television series. It feels as if it already has it already has that pennyworth, and not to be confused with Pennywise, but that pennyworth thing where they're gonna have to at some point decide that they want to explain what the show is, because half of the responses to my tweets have been uh dairy girls jokes. And that's what I thought it was when I saw the embargo come through. I was like, oh dairy oh dairy girls prequel and Asian. Yeah, movie? it's it's a it's a bad it's a bad title that does not say what they want the show to be. I mean, at some point, I suspect it is going to end up being uh, Pennywise colon Welcome to Dairy or something to that effect, because you're you're just not telling people what the TV series you're making is with Welcome to Dairy. You're telling people either that it's a prequel to Dairy Girls or a prequel to Welcome to Flatch on Fox. It's not a it's not a good title. Um, also, Stephen King colon Welcome to Cougar Town. That's no? really confusing. Uh, <laughs> also, and I'll just say this uh, because it's the same people who made the two-part It movie thing a couple of years ago. The second of the two It movies was brutally bad, and I have concerns for that reason as well. I thought the first one was kind of decent, had some good things that it did with a very difficult property. I, I thought the second movie was atrocious, so who knows? I didn't see either, Dan. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a book that I it's a book that I loved. I have a, a deep well of affection for the the very very cheesy uh, but still sometimes effective six hour limited series or six whatever it was maybe it was four parts whatever the the Tim Curry uh, TV movie that that aired back in the the 90s definitely have affection for that in my heart, but yeah. Welcome to Dairy, not going to be a functional title for this series. So start thinking of new ones, guys. Yep. And wrapping up headlines, the syndication market continues to take a hit with Warner Brothers Discovery also axing Judge Greg Mathis and the People's Court. Both of those shows ran for more than two decades apiece. Mathis, meanwhile, just landed a new show with Byron Allen. So lots of changes in that space over the last 12 months. Definitely. Definitely, those are long-running shows that have some importance to some people. <laughs> not not shows that are part of my daily routine, though, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you can be honest. Okay. Absolutely. Sure. I Yeah, I mean, I think we all grew up, you know, as kids watching a little bit of Wapner. But uh, I haven't probably watched any of that kind of stuff since I was homesick from, like, elementary school, junior high, maybe? I don't know. I'm dating myself. I'm going to stop now. Yeah, that that and uh, and Rain Man are the the two things that primarily I think of when I think of People's Court is being homesick and Rain Man. Yeah. Well, moving on. Number two. 
I called it last week and we're sticking to it. Welcome to our supersized mailbag episode. As Dan reminded you at the top of the show, if you have questions about TV or you want to hear us discuss a certain topic or I don't know, maybe baseball's coming up. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's a little wish fulfillment there. Uh, you can email us at TV's top five. That's a numeral five at THR.com. Our first question comes from Donna, who asks, Dan, is it worth it for $12 a month for Paramount Plus with Showtime, considering she already pays six bucks for the ad tier to enjoy Star Trek programming? The question here is, is it worth the extra money for Showtime offerings, considering our listener Donna also already pays $65 a month for YouTube TV? Donna, it should be noted, asked you for your answer, so you're going to give your answer after I give my answer, which is... There's a lot of good Showtime programming. I would just be potentially curious to wait and see what Showtime is going to be come next year at this time. Like, I don't know that you would necessarily need it permanently, but I think it might be the kind of thing that might be worthwhile as an add-on, given that it's not like Showtime doesn't have periodic good shows. You could obviously have it to watch season two of Yellow Jackets. If you haven't watched season one, you could catch up, et cetera. So th that's obviously of some value. Uh, they've been doing a lot of documentaries lately, some of which are are decent, some of which are not. I don't think that would be an essential piece of, of why anyone would care about the Showtime add-on there. I think that it I think the real question is going to be what is Showtime going to look like a year from now? Uh, what is I don't know what what are the Dexter spinoffs, prequels, whatever's are they actually going to exist? Is that a thing? Uh, is that uh, political show with George Clooney directing a couple episodes? Is that going to be a thing eventually, et cetera? I, I don't know that it's urgent and I don't know that it's the kind of thing that you would want every week or every month, but I think it's the kind of thing that would be useful periodically, which I feel like at this point, more and more and more is the way that people are treating all of these streaming networks, like I'm going to, you know, people are like, I'm going to get Apple TV in March for the new season of, for the new season of Ted Lasso. OK, and then they'll get rid of it come May or something. So, yeah, I think I think it's the kind of thing that you probably wouldn't want permanently, but I think it is absolutely the kind of thing that would have value periodically. How about you, Leslie? To me, it's it's a question of taste. You know, the old school Showtime viewer in me, I loved Nurse Jackie, I loved Weeds, the OG Dexter. That was like at the beginning of, of my TV reporting career. I was obsessed with pretty much all of those Showtime originals during the Bob Greenblatt era. Um, Shameless remains one of my favorites, even though I don't think that they totally and completely stuck the landing. And I they left me with a lot of other questions. Um, and I really loved those characters and, and that show. So it really is up, up to what you want to watch. You know, I, I'm not a Trekkie. I know a lot of people are really excited about the third and final season of Picard. Uh, which obviously has its its uh, throwbacks to the next generation. So if you're enjoying that, keep keep on enjoying that. But it really is up to what your personal taste in television is. So for me, I'm you know buzz buzz buzz. I can't wait for Yellow Jacket season two. So I'm obviously if if I didn't already get screeners, I would be paying to to watch Yellow Jacket season two. I will watch whatever Clyde Phillips does with Dexter because I love. Dexter under Clyde Phillips. I really liked New Blood, even though I know I think Dan and I think you may disagree with me there. I thought it was a good ending and I thought that that they found a way to really rewrite the show's legacy and, and erase that terrible lumberjack finale. So, yeah, it, you know, it, again, it, it's up to your personal taste. But if if you like Dexter, if you like Yellow Jackets, if you like some of these library content, go for it. But again, it's it's six bucks and whatever you're paying the sixty five dollars a month for, for YouTube is you got to weigh where, where that where those resources go. And it's all so disconcerting because the, the conversation for so long with the cable bundle was I, you know, it's it's too I'm getting too many things that I don't pay for and it's getting too expensive and it's it's annoying and it's. It's not the most efficient way to do it. And now the the streaming version of it has become, if not equally chaotic, possibly more chaotic at this point. So, yeah, yeah I nothing. mean, I still have I still have cable largely because the Dodgers haven't figured out how to do an on demand streaming platform because then I would get rid of it. But I'm paying one hundred and eighty bucks a month. And that obviously includes Internet, too. But like. 
it used to be where you wanted HBO, great, you pay for HBO, but you also get stars and Showtime as well as part of that bundle. Now, I mean, you know, everything's a la carte. So it, it really is up to a matter of taste and what your own personal finances are. We got a couple questions about what's going on with seasons four and five of Arrested Development, which seems inaccurate to me because I'm not convinced that there actually was a season four or five of Arrested Development. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, if people think there were, that's that's something else. So where, if there actually were a fourth and fifth season of Arrested Development, is anybody going to be able to watch those hypothetical seasons that don't actually exist after they leave Netflix on March 14th? That's a great question and not one that I sadly have the answer to. So what we do know, again, everything, you know, to the I feel like the answer to most questions that, that we get for the podcast or even, you know, most of the topics that we discuss can either be traced back to one of two things, ownership or money. And in this case, Arrested Development was originally produced by 20th Century Fox Television, which, of course, following Disney's Fox acquisition is now owned by Disney. So those first three seasons are going to continue to stream on Hulu, which is majority controlled by Disney, at least for now. And considering Netflix paid to co-produce seasons four and five, which, yes, they did exist, sadly, Dan, I'm sorry, there is no word yet on what's going to happen to those seasons or if Netflix is going to put them on an ad tier or a fast service. Obviously, Netflix has launched with ads in certain territories. You know, it's going to be a great question to see what happens there. But the fact that these two seasons have complicated ownership rights means that Disney and Netflix are going to have to find a way to work together on this one. And well, eh, Disney and Netflix, not exactly the best of friends. So, not really sure to ha that, that I have an answer of what's going to happen here, but Netflix doesn't want to keep paying for inventory that's just sitting there that they can obviously see the metrics internally on. And if they don't want to pay for it, and if Disney doesn't want to pay Netflix to put them on Hulu so that it has the, the quote-unquote complete run of Arrested Development, those may just go into purgatory. So, Which would be a sorry. true tragedy for all and sundry. So sorry, not sorry? I don't know. Next up, Babur is curious to hear Dan's thoughts on The White Lotus competing as a drama and Poker Face competing as a comedy at the Emmys. Dan, do you think this will shake up the Emmys this year? Also, with Succession, The Last of Us, House of the Dragon, and The White Lotus, HBO could potentially have half of the outstanding drama series category for themselves. Has that ever happened before? I have honestly not done the research on whether it's ever happened before, keeping in mind, of course, that the expanded Emmy field to eight nominees is a relatively recent thing. Uh, but it would not surprise me if there have been years where HBO, for example, had three nominees. And then, of course, you had all those years when it was just ABC, CBS, and NBC that were doing it. So, you know, there there have definitely been years that a network or two have had a logjam on some of the categories. The, the potential of what is going to happen in the drama series field is a, a little bit crazy and the fact that suddenly HBO is in the position to have bordering on inevitably nominations for Succession, White Lotus, Last of Us, and House of the Dragon. I, I can't really think of a circumstance in which all four of those shows don't get nominated. And I mean, I guess that's good for somebody who likes to pile up the nominees. So it, to me, it goes sort of, there are sort of two ways on the White Lotus question of looking at it. And both of them are, this is wrong. <laughs> There's no, so, so maybe it's actually not two ways of looking at it. It's just one way of looking at it, but then from multiple perspectives. So yeah, I think, I think it's that, that it actually is. It's, it's wrong and it's wrong for many reasons. It's wrong from an HBO perspective in the sense that I don't know why HBO would want all four of those shows to be in the drama fields. It reduces the potential for for wins. It just it takes away some of the the nomination potential. And especially with a lot of these shows having these big ensemble casts, the fact that Succession is already a show that gets six, seven, eight acting nominations and White Lotus last year as a limited series got a bunch and it would have been positioned to do the same. There's a situation in which House of the Dragon does something vaguely comparable. Last of Us, while it feels inevitable as a drama series nominee, nominee and I think probably 
it's going to be in conversations for a lot of acting nominations. I don't know that they're quite as inevitable or guaranteed. So maybe that makes it a little I bit. Mean, I think you're going to see a lot of guest nominations out yeah. of The Last of Us. And I think, I think that's true. I just don't necessarily know if I feel like the buzz is leaning towards Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey both being nominated or not. You know, if they if they were, I would think that was a, a relatively reasonable thing. Uh, but Bella Ramsey or bust. I'm, I would be pissed if she didn't get nominated. I, She's fantastic. Uh, but then but you're you're already looking at sort of the number of of lead actress nominees just on the HBO shows. So Succession has put its lead actresses mostly in supporting. Probably White Lotus is likely to do the same. Uh but House of the Dragon is going to have to figure out what to do with Emma Darcy and Millie Alcock uh, and whether those performances are, are lead or guest. And because of the weird segmentation of the season, it, it's kind of ambiguous. But then you get into things like what is going to happen in some of these supporting categories. And, you know, people are going to be left out. And they're going to be left out because, of course, you know that the crown is going to get all of its nominations, et cetera, et cetera. Will and it, then though? this, I, it yes. feels like the crown came and went like, oh. in the blink of an eye this season. No, I, I mean, I think, I think that's absolutely true on a practical level, but I think that on an awards level, you have to keep in mind we're only two years removed from the crown sweeping the Emmys. Right, but a lot, was, the landscape has changed considerably in, the, the, in landscape those has two changed, years. the landscape has changed a little. The show has changed, and I think that is probably the thing: is that it was the you know that was the end of that old cast, the Olivia Coleman cast. This is the Imelda Staunton cast. I don't know if there's quite the same enthusiasm, but no, I don't think there's. I, I think the Crown is is a lock to get its handful of nominations. I, I would not worry about that. It is still prestige. It is still prestige of the kind that Emmy voters like. It had always been nominated previously and and had won a handful. I think the Crown is going to be perfectly safe. If I had to clear room for things. I would say that The Crown doesn't really deserve to be there because I don't think it really is one of the best shows at this moment in that category. But I also think that House of the Dragon doesn't deserve to be there. I don't think it's one of the best dramas on TV. But again, going back to White Lotus, it's a comedy. And that is what annoys me here. It is a dark comedy. It is a satire. The fact that it is not doing the same thing as Abbott Elementary and Ghosts does not mean that it is not, at its heart, a satire about wealth and privilege and America's place in the world. That is what the show is. If the show is a drama, A, I've been misreading it the entire time, and B, I've been misreading it, and I don't know that I actually like what the show is. I take the show as a, as a thing that makes me smile in wry ways, that makes me laugh, etc. And not necessarily, again, in the same way as something like, uh, like Abbott Elementary, which is sort of the example of, at this moment, the kind of pseudo-juggernaut coming from the network side. And it's kind of funny that we have that as an option. Uh, but... It's, it's not doing the same thing, but it's still a comedy. And to me, it's even more of a comedy than Succession, which I've always said is also a satire and a comedy. Um, and so I, I'm kind of baffled by it. The fact that Jennifer Coolidge, that performance by Jennifer Coolidge has dramatic undertones, obviously. That is why it is a great performance, but it is a comedic performance. You cannot tell me that what happened with Jennifer Coolidge at the end of the season of White Lotus was not intended to make you snort laugh. It absolutely 100% was, and it's ridiculous that it's being treated as a drama. Of course, the treatment of the whole thing is reflective of just how behind the Emmys are on the television landscape to begin with. Uh, so White Lotus was an anthology its first season. Its second season, because of Jennifer Coolidge, it's back. It's now a drama. If season three doesn't have any returning characters, can they return it to the limited series category? That It's just madness. And from the perspective of HBO... Um, I, I feel like while HBO has those three contenders that are that are pretty much guaranteed to be nominated in the drama field, 
and it will take some of the juice away from White Lotus. On the comedy side, it's a little bit less HBO heavy. You go and you look at the comedies and a lot of the things that we're assuming are going to get nominated for comedy series and comedy Emmys are things that probably haven't even been announced yet. Like presumably the third season of Hacks is going to be ready for a run before Emmy season, but it hasn't been announced. I don't know. Uh, well, Barry, side I, note, production did did take a pause, uh, at least part of production pause uh, to ha- allow Jean Smart to have a heart procedure she revealed this week. I, we certainly hope that she is okay and and okay. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't know if that's going to be ready for for this Emmy window. Uh, Barry, I think we assume that season four of Barry is going to be premiering in time for this Emmy window, but I don't know that we know a hundred percent for sure. I think that probably if HBO didn't assume it would, maybe it would make a difference. But the the, the comedy field is going to be very strange and yeah anyway so so just going back to the last thing about putting white lotus in the drama field and this sudden glut that hbo has it it kind of is guaranteeing and putting the last nail in the coffin very very sadly of uh better call saul and its emmy run because it's got the last half of the last season that's going to be eligible And as we've just talked about multiple times, it is a show that has currently been nominated for 40 plus Emmys and hasn't won a single one. Uh, The fact that we're now putting definitely Jennifer Coolidge, maybe Aubrey Plaza, you know, who knows, one or two others into the category. It makes it more and more unlikely that Ray Seahorn is ever going to win an Emmy. It also makes it rather plausible that she could, after being nominated for the first time last year, get squeezed out. Uh, maybe this inspires AMC to push her as lead actress, which I've been saying that she prob- they probably should have done anyway. She is the lead on that show. I could make the same argument about Jennifer Coolidge. It, it is absolutely an ensemble for White Lotus, but... The arc of the second season was completely and totally her arc. It's the one that has the beginning, the middle, and end, which I don't know that any of the others do. So anyway, uh, in conclusion, White Lotus is a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I don't know what else else to say other than that, um, but apparently I have thoughts. So anyway, continuing, Elizabeth writes that she's upset that Mindhunter isn't coming back for a third season as sort of a little bit of background. We had known it was not coming back, but it had always been one of those things where everyone had said, okay, we're releasing all the actors from their contracts, but if David Fincher wants to do another, who knows? And this past week, David Fincher said in some interview with somebody that it was dead, dead, dead. So anyway, Elizabeth continues, can it be picked up by another network or platform? It just seems like David Fincher has lost interest in trying to keep this show going. There is so much material for this show to cover, and fans have been waiting years for more. This is so depressing. Well, Dan, you kind of stole my thunder there. But yeah, Fincher did confirm this week that it's not coming back. And what we do know is, you know, he said he was very proud, obviously, the canned quote of the first two seasons. And then he did say that the show didn't attract, quote, enough of an audience to justify what he deemed was a very expensive show. As you noted, Dan, the cast was released a few years ago, freeing them up to take other projects. This show is owned by Netflix, so I wouldn't hold your breath for a return to Fincher and his big budget TV projects at the streamer, which lately has been on a diet consisting of cheeseburgers, Dan. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Netflix and cheeseburgers and you will be easily amused. Well, now I'm curious uh, because I'm not actually sure what you're saying. Uh, No, it's I don't know that it's ever been that that David Fincher wasn't interested in keeping the show going. I think that the show was always a complicated thing and uh, Netflix was tolerant. David Fincher has talked about how. The second season, they had a second season written and he decided he didn't like it. And so he threw out the second season and wrote a new second season or masterminded the writing room, whatever. But you if if you order a series from uh, a vaguely eccentric, extremely exacting auteur, then that is the business that you're getting into. And 
David Fincher is those things. And so could someone who isn't David Fincher do a show about 1970s FBI investigations into serial killers? Absolutely. And could they do it for significantly cheaper than David uh, Fincher has done it for two seasons at Netflix? Absolutely. But if fans of Mindhunter want Mindhunter back, then what you want is the David Fincher version of the show. And therefore, unfortunately, that means you have to deal with the reality of David Fincher. And the reality of David Fincher is that David Fincher is always going to be a movie guy who always is going to prioritize the movies he's doing over the TV shows he's doing. And when he decides to do the TV shows he's doing, he's always going to do them in his David Fincher way, which is expensive, well, expensive and slow and deliberate and will always throw roadblocks in front of promoting the show. I think that people at Netflix would probably tell you that they had very limited flexibility with how they put that show out there because of David Fincher's willingness or lack thereof to do a lot of things for it. For example, neither season uh, sent screeners to critics, which, you know, people reviewed it because you can't not review a new David Fincher show. But the reviews were all embargoed for day of premiere. There weren't long term, you know, there weren't long lead reviews telling people to watch it. So that probably somewhat thwarted promotional efforts for the show. Uh, he was not out there doing the awards circuit in advance of Emmys. And so thus the show that certainly could have been an Emmy worthy contender never got that opportunity either. So, you know, the show is too, ex was too expensive for Netflix because of how the show performed. But if the show had performed better, it would have required David Fincher to do a lot of things that weren't in character for David Fincher. So it's this whole thing where fans of the show want the show to come back, but the show as it existed, it, it was just, it was David Fincher and it was always going to be beholden to his being David Fincher. Yeah, and if you weren't sure what I was mean, what I was referring to about the cheeseburgers, well, it's from a, a mid-January cover story from the New Yorker about Netflix, and in, in which Bella reveals that she's looking for big, broad fare like cheeseburgers that can be digested by Middle America, ah, and, as okay. well as the coastal elites. So, yeah, it's it's a great story that got everybody talking about Netflix and cheeseburgers. So, uh, kind of what we've been talking about on the show too about. Uh, how everyone really wants to go big and broad. So it's a, it's a really amusing story if you're interested. So, yeah. And that's, again, on The New Yorker from mid-January. Up next, Elizabeth Karn asks about Emmy winner Brett Goldstein's AMC anthology series Soulmates, a show that I had to go and look up to find out what it actually even was. And it aired only two years ago. Anyway, the show was renewed for a second season before it premiered in 2020, and it's been radio silence ever since. What up with that, Leslie? Some breaking news for you here on TV's Top 5. Doo, 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 doo. This just in, sorry, but Soulmates was quietly canceled last year. Sources say Emmy winner Brett Goldstein has had a very busy dance card via his Warner Brothers overall deal. Soulmates sadly wasn't a big performer for AMC. Goldstein, of course, has been busy with Ted Lasso, where he's a writer, star, and executive producer, and on Shrinking, which he also is a co-creator of, a writer on, and executive producer of. And you can go back and listen to that interview. That would be with Bill Lawrence and Jason Siegel from episode 199 in January 27th, 2023. So apologies, but Soulmates is added to the list of shows that have been quietly unrenewed. Speaking of AMC, Seth asks, what is the likely future for AMC with cable subscribers numbers dropping and their streaming service not making up the difference in revenue? Is there a future for AMC as a standalone company? And if they look to sell, what is the value proposition for a potential buyer given that their content is similar to other streamers? like, for example, Apple TV+, Plus, HBO, and Showtime, etc., and they don't own some of their biggest shows, like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, etc. Yeah, I, it's a big question. Um, this, you know, the past 12 months have not been an easy one for AMC. We talked about Soulmates cancellation. They've all, AMC has also canceled a number of other shows, 61st Street, a bunch of other ones. You can look it up. Uh, we're going to do a little breakout on the Soulmates cancellation. And I kind of went long about the state of AMC, but their CEO 
was uh, departed last year. James Dolan, whose family controls AMC and has been a, a controlling owner of, of that network for some time. He is now the interim CEO. There have been sale rumors around AMC, but what we know is that they have a variety of streaming platforms, Shudder, the horror service, All Black. They have uh, Sundance Now, a, obviously AMC Plus. Dan, you've talked about a, a number of great shows that have been on AMC Plus, but the problem here is, as, as uh, our listener Seth wrote, there's some of their biggest hits they don't own. Mad Men is owned by Lionsgate. Breaking Bad by Sony. They do own The Walking Dead, which remains a big asset, although it is far from the powerhouse that it once was. So the bigger question here is who would want to buy the AMC assets if they are indeed for sale? And that's a big if. And the question right now is, we don't know. We don't have an answer to that because right now, you know, as we've talked about, everyone's doing layoffs and cutbacks. The era of consolidation is here. People are, you know, these these platforms are greenlighting fewer and fewer things, or at least most major platforms and conglomerates have cut back on their spending. They're they're restructuring again to prioritize prioritize streaming, but also to eliminate. Uh, positions that are that are that there's a lot of overlap. You know, it used to be where. If you take a company like Disney and you would have a business affairs department for ABC and then a business affairs department for Hulu and then a business affairs department for for the studio division, et cetera, and a business affairs department for Disney Plus, now all those are rolled into one. Same with, you know, common functionalities like HR and legal, et cetera. And it's only a matter of time, at least from my vantage point, until you start to see some of these bigger companies further consolidate into one bigger studio. Like Disney has, I think, three or four different studios. It's insane, but you have a lot of people doing a lot of similar work. So in an era of consolidation, and reduced spending where everyone is slashing budgets and there's layoffs, who would buy AMC? Especially when their crown jewels are not included. Breaking Bad, Mad Men. I think there's a, there was another one. What's the, the other? What's another big AMC show that's not The Walking Dead, Dan? Well, I mean, at this point, they're all in on the Anne Riceiverse, right? So. But that they actually own, and that, and those are shows that are performing, and are both of them have already been renewed. I think there's a third in works, if memory serves, and it doesn't always. But anyway, yeah, it, it, it's a great question to see what's going to happen there, and that's the same thing that's kind of going on over at Stars. Although, you know, they were purchased by Lionsgate a couple of years ago, you're starting to see more integration. That's a big reason why they brought back Party Down. They own that show. And that's what they're, they're really doing is they're mining their library and they're bringing back some of these big hit shows that is making them much more attractive. So to possibly be an acquisition target. And I think AMC would, would be in the same boat. And I think you can make the same argument for Peacock, right? Or, or Paramount Plus. Like there's been buzz on, on, on the M&A front about something between Paramount Global and Comcast because here you've got kind of two afterthoughts on, on, on in terms of streaming with Peacock and Paramount Plus, both of which have seen some, you know, recent success, Poker Face, obviously all the Yellowstone shows and the integration with Showtime. But yeah, it, it, it's the next two years are really going to be interesting to watch to see how some of these players that have that aren't the Disney's and the Netflix and the Apple's of the world that don't have this free free cash flow the way that some of these bigger companies do are going to be impacted. So as for what's going to happen with AMC, it, they're they're right at the right on that list. So our next question comes from friend of the five, Chris Hainer, former TV's top five co-host, I should note, Chris Hainer. Vince McMahon has returned to WWE supposedly in order to sell the company. Given the spending cuts going on, do you think any of the major studios and streamers would be looking at an acquisition that would cost into the billions like this? WWE and Comcast obviously have been in business together for decades, and currently Peacock is WWE's streaming home. Would this be something that you could see adding to their portfolio? Dan, I think you have some thoughts on this one, right? I have absolutely no thoughts on this one other than that it's obviously a very, very valuable brand and somebody will want it. Uh, though, as Chris observes, it's not going to be a cheap brand. And so, and so we look at all of the news from recent weeks and, uh, you know, it's, it's big cuts at 
Disney and big cuts at Warner Brothers Discovery and 120 people at Showtime affected. Netflix Netflix is not spending as willy nilly as they might have at some point. So I don't have a clue who would be in position to to make a purchase like this, but it would definitely be a very, very large splash. Yeah, I mean, we talked in headlines um, about the NFL and Netflix and how they've been really going after a lot of sports. And we know from obviously from doing our jobs well for the last decade plus, sports is kind of the live, t- it, it, it's DVR proof, right? It's It used to be sports and award shows would be must-see TV live. Award shows, we've seen what's happened with the ratings on that front, but sports has kind of really bucked that trend. And that's why you're starting, to, why you've seen in the last few years, outlets like Amazon really spend big to get NFL rights. So would the same be true for WWE? That's a great question. Amazon and Apple are still, at least from my vantage point, both of those companies are still spending pretty freely. Amazon, especially on big IP. Obviously, there is a wealth of IP to draw from in WWE, not just from live sporting events, but you could obviously develop scripted shows that 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 from this from this world. There's so much to mine there, Chris, and I think you probably know better than we would. But the bigger question here is who's going to spend billions of dollars on WWE? So I would imagine private equity would do this. I don't see how any of the major conglomerates can justify this kind of investment, especially Comcast. So great question. Last from this particular mailbag orama comes <laughs> I like from that mailbag orama comes from Garrett who asks about several shows that I'm also curious about and look forward to hearing from Leslie on. Garrett asks about the future and in some cases even present because some of these shows haven't premiered of HBO's The Idol, Showtime's The Curse, and additional seasons of Z Way and I Love That for You from Showtime. Well, let's start with HBO. They teased The Idol with a 2023 debut with a teaser that they released back in October. It's been radio silence since then for the the new drama series uh, from The Weeknd and the creator of Euphoria. The series we know underwent a number of reshoots and had some behind-the-scenes changes, including a director departure as it got a, a new creative direction last spring. So... Um, obviously, they're still moving forward with that. That would have been a huge tax write-off if they had decided to scrap that. But it also would have been a big middle finger to two major pieces of talent with The Weeknd, who obviously has a, a music special coming out on HBO Max, as well as to Sam Levinson, the creator of one of its biggest shows in Euphoria. So stay tuned for a premiere date on that. As for Showtime, well, I've been harassing pretty much everyone I know uh, about what's going on with some of the remaining bubble shows. No decisions yet on I Love That For You or Z-Way or even the L Word Generation Q or Super Pumped Season 2. As for The Curse, that's the Emma Stone show from the Safdie brothers that is expected to get a premiere date relatively soon, I hear. So still going forward with The Curse, my gut says the L word Gen Q will be back. I don't know about I love that for you or Z way, although I would really hope that they would find a way to bring both of those back. It's considering I can't imagine either one of those things are very expensive to produce. Definitely the curse and the idol have both kind of moved into that terrain of I'll believe those shows actually exist when I see them. Uh, at least with the idol, there's been a trailer. So, you know, that you know that something exists, whereas the curse is just sort of this this enticing project because it's like, ooh, Emma Stone, the Safdie brothers, et cetera. And and it's kind of out there in in the ether. So. Who knows? I mean, it's not like it's not like when Emma Stone did that uh, Netflix series with Jonah Hill that it was some big. Yes, indeed. With uh, Carrie Fukunaga and other people, it was, you know, very, very talent. Lots of lots of talented people involved in a series that definitely did not do what Netflix expected or hoped that it was going to do. Yeah. Big stars don't guarantee big success anymore, Dan. They do not. And that's going to be a wrap on this mailbag-o-rama. And a reminder, once again, if you have questions that you'd like to hear Dan and I discuss on a future episode of TV's Top 5, go ahead and drop us an email at TV's Top 5, that's the numeral 5, at THR 
LuckyLandSlots.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number five. As usual, we wrap things up with the Critics' Corner. Among this week's major new launches, Stars is returning to Party Down, Amazon unfurls The Consultant, and Apple takes a visit with the reluctant traveler. Dan, what you got for us this week? Some interesting stuff this week. Uh, probably Party Down is the thing that people are looking forward to most, Uh Obviously, this was a show that premiered, God, 14 years ago uh, on Stars, and it was critically acclaimed, featured a tremendous cast of people who were already up and coming. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like one of those things where it was freaks and geeks and you're like, okay, I know all these people are going to be stars, but they're nobody yet. No, it had a bunch of recognizable people and people who everyone knew at that point were going to be bigger and bigger stars. And... That's exactly what they became, but no one watched it. And it's kind of funny. You go back and you look at the ratings for that show, and yeah, nobody watched that show. It, it was it was drawing well under 100,000 viewers per week in most of its initial airings. So it, it was much more surprising that it aired two seasons than that it didn't get a third, ultimately. Uh, but on the other hand, it is one of those shows that has absolutely found an audience over the years of various on-demand and streaming whatevers. And so it's not hugely surprising that stars wanted to go back to that world. And the thing about the show that I said in my review is stars didn't know how to promote it. Stars didn't know how to get anyone to watch it. But it's not like it was this hard to get into inaccessible show. It's a workplace comedy. And so, yes, there's a lot of inside baseball Hollywood stuff because it's about cater waiters in Los Angeles slash Hollywood. And they all either want to become movie stars or to become writers, etc. There's some inside baseball stuff from that. But it's a fairly wacky show. That is what the show is. It, it very, you know, wonderfully written, but tremendously acted. And sometimes it would be a show that had a lot of references and all of that. But sometimes it would just have Ken Marino walking into walls or having allergic reactions or getting physically ill in broadly comedic terms. And so, yeah, there's, there's a reason why people have gradually found it. They're like, OK, we didn't know this show existed, but now that we've watched it, it's good. So it is back now for a sixth episode season. And some of the people, because they were obviously stars and getting bigger weren't able to make it. And so Lizzie Kaplan, very sadly, is is not there, but they've replaced her to some degree with Jennifer Gardner, not directly. It's not like she's suddenly playing Casey. She's playing a different character, a movie producer who meets the various catering people in the first episode. Uh, but so she's a new addition. And then there are a couple other New additions. Uh, uh, Terrell Jackson Williams is is new. Uh, Brockmire fans will know him, but for other people, he'll be a bit of a revelation. And uh, Zoe Chow is also new. And then a lot of people, it's mostly the original cast otherwise is back. So Adam Scott, the aforementioned Ken Marino, uh, Ryan Hansen, Martin Starr, Jane Lynch and Megan Mullally are both back. Um, I would say probably that Jane Lynch and Megan Mullally didn't need to be brought back. I, you know, obviously they're ridiculously talented. They don't need me to say that. Uh, they've got the Emmys to prove it. But 
their characters in this new installment are are somewhat hanging on by a thread and being introduced and brought in and brought out based basically on their <laughs> availability more than anything narratively. Uh, but th- the bottom line on the review is that it's basically the same show. It's It's trying a little bit too hard to bring things back and to bring characters back, to bring callback references back, to remind you of the reasons in particular you like some of the characters. So it does feel like it's leaning into certain things a little bit hard. Martin Starr's character is talking much, much more about his hard sci-fi and his vlog uh, because that amused people the first time around. But the bottom line is it is still an assortment of wacky parties that they find themselves going to and the hilarious hijinks that ensue once they're at them. Uh, Jennifer Garner is a thoroughly likable new addition to the cast, and she gets funnier as the season goes along. Uh, I think that Terrell Jackson Williams is incredibly funny. He was always great on Brock Meyer. He's very good here. Uh, Zoe Chow is extremely funny. She contributes some of the deadpan humor that Lizzie Kaplan brought to the show. So some of that is there. Uh, She was also my favorite part of the after party. So she is just a very good addition to any ensemble comedy series. I think you have to know that the first episode is a lot of resetting the pieces on the table. That's that's largely what it is. And maybe there's a little bit of an excessive reliance in these six episodes on basically people associated with the gang hiring the gang to do their events. I think there are at least three or four episodes which are very much parties thrown by people associated already with characters on the show, which is a little bit limited. But in general, I liked the five of the six episodes that have been sent to critics. I, I like them a lot, and I would be interested to see what the accumulated audience of the past decade actually looks like. And if the show is, it's not going to be a hit, but is the show actually going to come out and do solid numbers and allow them to do a third season if that's a thing that they want to do? Or is it going to be kind of a, well, we got the gang back together and basically no one watched it. So maybe we'll do this again in 10 years. So we'll see. I hope that people watch it because I would absolutely watch more. And I would specifically watch more if the show could just kind of ease up on needing to remind people why it exists and could actually just tell its stories again on a weekly basis. And I think a a fourth season would give them an opportunity to do that. Uh, The Consultant is new on Amazon this week. And I I guess the hook, such as it is, is it's Christoph Waltz, who has multiple Oscars and is generally fun to watch, if that's a thing that amuses you. Uh, It is set at a computer gaming company in the first or second scene. The Wunderkind uh, founder of the company is killed under not particularly funny circumstances. And a couple days later, it's kind of unclear. The show has a very strange relationship with time. Uh, Christoph Waltz's character wanders in. His name is Regis Padoff. He speaks with a mysterious Christoph Waltz accent. He walks with a limp and has trouble getting up and down stairs. He goes around smelling employees, sniffing them because he doesn't like the smell of somebody or something in the office etc., etc., etc. He's very weird, he's very exacting, and it very clearly becomes immediately apparent that he's working either on behalf of some supernatural dark force or maybe just the supernatural, the natural dark force that is capitalism. And so either he's there just to make money, and that's bad, or he's there because of Heaven knows he could be a demon. He could be the devil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, The show comes from Tony Baskelop, who was technically the creator of uh, Apple TV Plus's servant. Only everybody just refers to it as M. Night Shyamalan's servant. So that's what it is. Uh, (laughs) But it is based on a novel by Bentley Little, and it's kind of halfway between being a a comedy and being a horror drama. It's a half-hour series. It's a half-hour series in which it kind of feels as if every other scene has been excised from it, so a lot of the character arcs make very little sense. Uh, 
I, I've only talked about Christoph Waltz so far, and that's because he's really the only real character in the in the series. Uh, that, and yet he's not actually the focal character of the series. Uh, Nat Wolf plays a coder named Craig and Brittany O'Grady, who people will know from Little Voice and from... Uh, Go uh, back and watch Little Voice on Apple. It was so good. It was so good. And especially if you love Sarah Bareilles, like my wife and I. It did give us the opportunity to have Sarah Bareilles on the podcast, which made certain people... Very, very amused and pleased. Um, but yeah, so she she plays the executive assistant to the deceased former run, uh, operator of the company who elevates herself to creative liaison, basically, because she can and no one knows the difference. Uh, neither one of those is really a character, and neither Wolf or O'Grady really gives a consistent performance because it feels like many, many, many of their scenes have just been trimmed out to get to this odd running time. It's uh, a little strange. And there are basically no secondary characters. It, a lot of other people are kind of in the background at this computer company, and most of them don't have names, and they definitely don't have dialogue. So the series is neither fish nor fowl. It's it's kind of a, a corporate satire, but in that respect, it's like Severance, if Severance was less funny, but also less thrilling. It's a little bit unnerving at times. Uh, but basically, if you're going to watch, you're going to watch because you want to see Christoph Waltz do the Christoph Waltz character for 10 episodes on a TV show or eight episodes, whatever it is. And he does that and he does it extremely well. And he's so good at what he does that it's never boring. But it's a show that relies on twists and surprises, and there's also nothing surprising about watching him do this particular thing at this point. Uh, in my review, I compared it to Hello Tomorrow on Apple TV+, Plus, where it's really finally more of a entertaining leading performance and a vibe than an actual TV show. Uh, and if you expect it to be an actual TV show, you may be disappointed and... Definitely where the show goes in the end is not really a particularly satisfying conclusion. So hard to know. And then last but not least, on the unscripted front, uh, the reluctant traveler is Eugene Levy of Eugene Levy fame going around the world complaining about things. That That's basically the premise of the show. The, the premise of the show is he hates traveling and he hates almost all of the aspects that people enjoy about traveling, whether it's you know, he doesn't like he doesn't like heights. He doesn't like flying. He doesn't like water, uh, etc. And so someone thought it would be funny to send him to a bunch of exotic locations to complain about being in exotic locations. And it's somewhat amusing. It's also a little repetitive because, you know, that every episode he's going to go to Finland, he's going to go to Japan, he's going to go to Costa Rica, he's going to go to South Africa. And he's going to complain, and he's going to complain, and he's going to complain. But then ultimately, he's going to meet some good salt-of-the-earth people in these countries, or he's going to experience some really good food in one of these countries. He's going to be like, well, I'm not exactly changed by this experience, but maybe my horizons have been expanded. So it, th there's definitely repetitiveness. The format of the show is also a little unusual because while – Part of the premise is he's going to these places and he's complaining and he's experiencing new cultures at the same time. He's also staying in these ridiculous hotels in these places. Like in South Africa, he's in a hotel that is made up entirely of first-class train compartments that's on a suspension – not a suspension bridge, a bridge that is over this – safari area. So hippopotamuses and lions and whatnot just sort of walk underneath the hotel. And guess what? He is afraid of those as well. Uh, he does, however, go to a lot of very interesting exotic places. And some of them, the things he gets to do are amusing in those places. And Eugene Levy's funny and he, he gets off these sort of droll uh, bits of, of Canadian and Jewish humor that, that I appreciated. And I watched all eight episodes of the series, so it must not have been bad. It just... It, you know, I I think I prefer when it comes to travel shows, I prefer the open hearted embrace of other cultures from something like Somebody Feed Phil, where he goes to places. And even if he's a little bit scared by something or freaked out by something, he just kind of dives in willingly because he understands what that's what the show is. Uh, 
And this is, as the title goes, a little bit more of a reluctant version of this. So again, to recap, Stars has a new season of Party Down premiering. It is very Party Downy. If you like Party Down, you will like this. The consultant doesn't really come together as anything interesting, but it's still entertaining to watch Christoph Waltz do his thing. And if you're a fan of the travel genre and a little bit of travel food, and if you like occasionally seeing ridiculously expensive hotels that you'll never be able to afford, but that Eugene Levy can for the purpose of a TV show, The Reluctant Traveler on Apple TV Plus kind of gets the job done. For more of Dan's weekly recommendations, be sure to subscribe to The Hollywood Reporter's Now See This newsletter and bookmark THR.com slash TV dash reviews for more. That feels like a good place to wrap things up. Thank you, as always, for listening to TV's Top 5, The Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all of your various podcasting platforms. If you like us, rate us. If you really like us, write a little reviewy thing. I'm told they help spread the word of mouth. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Who knows? I insist they do. You can always come say hi to us on Twitter. Let us know what's working, what isn't working. You know, have a conversation. Uh, she's at Snoodit with two O's. I'm at The Fine Print. That's F-I-E-N. And come say hi. And if somehow you didn't hear the 15 times that we told you how to reach us for mailbag questions uh, earlier in this podcast, you can email us with future mailbag questions at TV's top five at THR.com. That's TV's top five, still the numeral five at THR.com. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.